Hey everyone, welcome to the Smart Economy Podcast, a production of neonewstoday.com. I'm your host, Dylan Grabowski. In this episode of the Smart Economy Podcast, I sat down and spoke with Holly Wood, the Director of Business Development for the Bozen Protocol. Bozen is a fair exchange protocol that enables a decentralized commercial exchange of any physical thing without central intermediaries or trusted counterparties. In this conversation, Holly and I spoke about the differences between working with grassroots creatives and big brands, how NFT launches have similar vibes to brand launches for verticals like streetwear, the prevalence of in-house Web3 teams and staff at big brands, fidgetals or digi-physical items, and so much more. Just a reminder, nothing said on this podcast is a solicitation to buy or sell any tokens, that nothing should be taken as financial advice, and that the host or guests may hold tokens discussed in any given episode. With that said, I really enjoyed chatting with Holly, and I hope you enjoy the conversation too. Hey everyone, welcome to the Smart Economy Podcast. Today we are joined by Holly Wood, the Director of Business Development for the Boson Protocol. First of all, congrats on your new role and welcome to the pod, Holly. Hey, thanks so much, Dylan. I'm very excited to be here. Super cool to have this conversation. Yeah, I'm very excited to have this conversation as well because the Boson Protocol is kind of the intersection of the digital and the physical. But before we delve way into that, I think you have a really cool background and career, which has seemingly been focused on the arts, from fashion to galleries, to interior design, to content creation. So can you just share a little bit about some of your background and some of the really interesting companies you've worked for and founded? Yeah, for sure. So yes, you're quite right. Before joining the Web3 space, I was spent 20 years, 20 plus years, my career has been in the creative industry. So I started out in the fashion industry, working as a stylist for the independent newspaper or broadsheet here in the UK. and was super lucky to start really my fashion network at that stage of my career. I've gone on to work with various contemporary artists. And just really just before joining Web3 Space, I was the founder of Wood Society of the Arts, where we specialized in connecting artists with brands, but also working on kind of some really interesting public art engagement pieces. So I've done a lot of work with emerging artists and creators. And so my role then at Rarible was head of artist relationships, working with new NFT creators and artists like entering and joining kind of like the Web3 revolution. Yeah, that's really cool. I want to dig in a little bit into Rarible. But before we do that, do you remember the first time you heard about cryptocurrencies, whether it was Bitcoin or Ethereum? And uh, what were kind of your initial thoughts? Normally, it's like, when did you hear about NFTs? But actually, crypto, I was definitely aware of like much, much earlier, but I didn't really do a ton of research, but it would have been Bitcoin. And then like NFTs, I became super curious and really did all my learnings around cryptocurrency through like, you know, the format of digital art. piqued my interest. I thought this is an amazing, you know, new opportunity for artists and anything really that can support those different kind of creative processes and outcomes. 
I'm going to be very like excited to learn about. So yeah, that's how I kind of like learned really about crypto and blockchain just because I really wanted to understand like that smart contract layer. I felt like it was super important to really honor the um, validity of, you know, how NFTs were actually different to traditional art forms or creative practice. That that creative layer of the smart contract and blockchain is integral to me. So I'm, you know, I've been a big fan of multiple chains and, you know, supported the onboarding to various chains but of course at Boson we're working with Polygon which is very cool it's no surprise that like for instance Nike is also working with Polygon I think it makes a lot of sense as a a layer two uh, Ethereum based chain I agree I think multi-chain is the future of the blockchain world that we're moving into and I also think that your genesis is really interesting I came into the blockchain space in 2017 because I got excited about tokenizing everything. But in 2020, something changed and NFTs really created a brand new opportunity for people, especially creators and artists and creatives to kind of have autonomy over their work and to be given a new way to connect with their community. So you entered the NFT space in 2020 And you mentioned that it was Beeple that really kind of opened your eyes, kind of. But what was it for you and your your kind of history that really made it click? Was it some of the fashion brands that you'd worked with? Was it some of the artists? Who did you really kind of internalize could benefit from this NFT technology and smart contracts when things finally started kind of rolling for you in 2020? I guess at that time, there was so much focus on, you know, 10K PFP projects. The NFT scene was very much around that hype cycle. I remember very clearly being in the clubhouse room when board apes were dropping and everyone going crazy and picking up as much as they could and trying to work out exactly how to, you know, connect wallets and make their first collection purchase. Um, I'm trying to remember who it was who collected all the pink apes. She did. It was such a dope thing to do. I was. I always think of that. I remember who it was in the space, but it was one of the incredible kind of like female leaders of the space. But yeah, I think, you know, PFP projects was definitely something I was very interested in the mechanics of like building a tool really to kind of like gather your community. Obviously, I'd worked with a lot of streetwear brands before, so it kind of felt like a similar synergy happening, especially with things like Bored Apes and CryptoPunks. They had a kind of a similar energy and vibe to that audience. And so the, the idea that you could be a very emerging talent and develop like a collection that would have global kind of like appeal you know, I'd sit on for hours in clubhouse room listening to people kind of like waiting for drops or getting excited for the next iteration of a project. Or I do specifically remember like the Tezos rooms, for instance, because Tezos was such a, a fun like NFT series of work to collect because it was very affordable because it was, you know, obviously a very different market conditions for that particular blockchain. But yeah, no, I mean, I think 
I have been so fortunate to work with lots of different fashion brands through my career and like having more recently advised lots of them on the web free space. One thing, you know, I'm often kind of like driving home is how important it is to work with web free native creatives. So actually when we worked uh, on the Givenchy NFT project, it was actually the team there that put forward the idea of a collaboration with Feltzine. And I was so impressed because for a big brand to kind of look at working with such like raw underground talent, but you know, the Feltzine community is not a huge community. It's not super well known, but they're incredible. So yeah, so the NFT collaboration for the second uh, Givenchy project was with Feltzine and also this awesome streetwear brand, Bistroy. But yeah, I'm always like, you know, talking about working with native Web3 talent, essentially. You know, I think for it to feel authentic, it has to be part of like the origin story or, you know, people that kind of, or artists or creators that really understand the space. I think that is a, a kind of an essential ingredient. Mm-hmm. You You kind of pulled on two different threads that I want to I want to go down with your response right there. And the two threads were the benefits that NFTs can offer creators and also for brands. So I think we'll start with my first question. And from your perspective, what are the unique benefits that NFTs can offer creators, artists, curators, and just general creatives in general? There's so many opportunities, isn't there? In it? And I think that was you know, one of the things that really drew me to the space was that we're really building this thing as we're like evolving in the space. What's possible now is, you know, only possible because someone built it yesterday. So if you want to build this new thing today, that will be possible tomorrow. And in so many industries like fashion, like art, it's just simply not like that. There's these processes, there's like hierarchical systems in play, who gets coverage, who you hear about. And Web3 completely flipped that whole script. So it created opportunity for artists like, you know, Malia Abidi, who she was a brilliant writer and activist and artist in her own right before coming into the Web3 space. But Web3 gave her the opportunity to develop Women Rise as a project and really just gave her a, a different or sort of wider platform bigger platform to you know have those conversations that she was already engaged in so it yeah it just gave her her kind of call to action like wider response and i would say some of the other like benefits for artists you know that in sort of fashion or e-commerce retailers will think of their customers as as customers as clients as consumers whereas in web3 we you know we always use the term community and that because there is a genuine exchange of expression and interest it's a very i felt that it has always been actually a very equal exchange the artist pretty much exists because of its community and the community therefore has like this really different dynamic relationship with that creative with the creative output with the creative process so yeah i think there's lots of different opportunities that have been created there that we haven't seen before 
And I think I, in, in doing my deep dive into your background, I think you were also part of launching an NFT series yourself. Joanna, think I probably was, but <laughs> when I first kind of like joined the space, I was actually working with a series of different artists. So I was really thinking about curating artists, but actually the reason that at that point we couldn't really develop that is that there hadn't been the development yet in smart contracts for the artist to be able to mint and do split royalties. So as a curator, there was no way. Um, so this was before Foundation, before OpenSea or Rarible did kind of like split contracts. So actually, and I just didn't feel that it was authentic for me as a curator to mint an artist's work because the whole beauty of it is that it's that, you know, it's on chain forever. So I was, yeah, it was an ethical debate that I had with myself. <laughs> That's really interesting. Sometimes when I take photography, I think about putting it on chain as an NFT myself, but there's a big weight and responsibility that comes with creating artwork and putting it on chain because it is somewhat permanent. You know, as long as the hash is pointing towards where the image is saved online, then this NFT will live on chain forever, especially so if it's using some sort of decentralized network like IPFS or StoreJ or anything like that. So that's that's a really interesting conundrum that you brought up. And I also think highlights the value that you put on the artists and providing them with the most benefit that this technology can give them. So while we have your concern and care for the creative and the understanding of what this tech can provide them and their community, I'm curious, what does the opposite side of the coin look like for like luxury goods partners and fashion brands? What are the sort of things that these entities are thinking about when they're talking about NFTs and blockchain technology? My experience has been really heartening when I've been talking to brands and a lot of these luxury partners. They genuinely want to do this the right way. You know, it's not an optics thing for them. They genuinely want to engage in innovation for creatives and creators. I think that's why a lot of them are being very mindful. It's not all to do with kind of like brand prestige or storytelling. It's because they genuinely want to take their time because they've invested heavily because they see this as long-term, a long-term conversation that they're going to have with their audiences. And as we all are learning as we go along, some of this is organic. Some of it can be connected and filtered through existing like networks. But a, a lot of the brands where I've seen them be super experimental, especially in the early days with everything that Gucci were doing, for instance, exploring like different game options, different art collection options, different collectible series with super plastic, working with sandbox, working with yeah, just lots of different partners. I definitely see that there is real intent in learning why and how this is different and what role they might play in that conversation. And it's been like such a privilege to be able to be part of a lot of those conversations. One of the benefits of us being this really small creative community right now is that we have all these amazing luxury 
professionals working in innovation teams and marketing teams, some in specialist Web3 departments, talking and like working very closely with like digital fashion brands, emerging artists, designers. It feels like a very nascent isn't the right word. Fervent. <laughs> That's not a great word either. <laughs> There's a lot happening. It's great. <laughs> yeah, being a, a writer, it can feel frustrating at times when when the word to describe the process is on the tip of your tongue, but you can't really pull it out. Yes. But I guess kind of like leaning into that, I'm going to ask you to to maybe double down. Is Ferrari and Versace and all these other brands, is are we at a place where pretty much any big brand name that we hear of, especially when it comes to luxury goods, they have somebody on their team that is looking into Web3? Is the technology so ubiquitous that we're at that point now? Yeah, I 100% think we do. Like I say, often they'll fall into like an innovation team or in the marketing team. Many of the like bigger fashion brands have in-house Web3 teams now, which is fantastic because it takes such a long time to kind of learn the, I was going to say learn the basics, but yeah, learn kind of how to optimize the Web3 opportunity. There's like so many different ways, right? You know, you could look at authentication, you could look at community building. There's so many different functionalities of Web3 that it makes sense to have these kind of like dedicated teams who are really exploring what the actual or identifying what the actual opportunity is for each brand, because each different brand is going to, it will be something slightly different. So it won't always be creative, for instance. And I guess that was one of the reasons that I was kind of excited to join Boson is that the retail element is something that is actually works across all different types of entity, you know, whether we're talking about luxury brands, fashion houses, beverages, kind of like luxury drinks brands, or cars, Mm -hmm. all of these different sectors already have e-commerce as part of their structure. So it makes absolute sense that they would explore what decentralized commerce looks like, and how that's different. How soon or how quickly they adopt or understand what the opportunity is there I guess that's kind of my job is that you know I need to be able to like communicate that or help them identify those opportunities but I'm that those are the conversations that I'm super excited to have you know there are players in the space that have already kind of activated they might have entered their kind of like web3 strategy with one understanding and now maybe that they're kind of more closely involved in the space in the community. You know, maybe they're going to be exploring or thinking about other opportunities now. Um, and I totally think that decentralized commerce is should really be one of those priorities because it's something that can happen very quickly. Like I say, because e-commerce is already absolutely part of what how they operate and what they do. They're selling physical products. And that's what Boson does, you know, enables the transfer of physical goods using blockchain technology. Yeah, I love that. I'm going to kind of double down on this question and and maybe your response will will have a lot of 
elements of of what you just said. But like I said, I came into the space in 2017. And, and back then, you know, the whole thing was blockchain can be used to disrupt supply chains. Right. So, you know, if you would have asked me back then, how is Porsche going to get involved in Web3 and blockchain? I would have thought that they would have used, for some reason, a decentralized database that, you know, interrupted their supply chain processes yeah. and maybe decreased the costs. But, you know, lo and behold, earlier this year, they launched an NFT series. So with these brands, what are they really looking at? Are they looking at everything? Are they trying to look at utility, like for supply chain? Are they starting to look beyond that and explore what NFTs can offer? Can you just maybe shed a little bit more insight into that? Are they looking more creative or are they looking more utility? I think it's everything. I think they are gen having a very general overview of Web3. I think they're trying to sort of understand where the you know, different opportunities fall and how it aligns with their current you know, points of focus. So for someone like Porsche, really like building out their community and you know, showcasing that they have this incredibly engaged community. In terms of Porsche, you have, you have this like whole journey as a collector, which I had no idea. And it's super exciting and really interesting, you know, that essentially you start with your, you know, your very first Porsche should be this X model. And, you know, there's almost like a catalogue of events that uh, is supposed to take place as a collector. So, yeah, no, I, I kind of love the fact that people are using Web3 and NFTs as a storytelling tool also. So that's, you know, it's highlighting a story that already existed within the brand and I think will activate and engage a totally new audience for them. Yeah, I agree. I want to take one quick step back before we jump into more kind of diving into fidgetals or digi-physical items and boson. Yeah, 100%. We did start working very closely with brands. Mattel was one of the conversations that we were engaged with. And we ended up working with a different toy manufacturer. And so there was definitely a lot of live conversation around how digital assets could be connected to physical. And I love the fact, for instance, that uh, Barbie and Mattel did actually go out and did a collaboration with one of the leading women's NFT projects, Boss Beauties. So that was very cool to see. Um, but yeah, absolutely. We were definitely having conversations with like brands and around how to connect. And, and that's, you know, at that time, there really wasn't a way of doing it in a very seamless environment it was very much like you're going to click out and you're going to go over to the standard kind of e-commerce checkout solution on the brand's own website and so you were kind of losing that web3 magic as soon as you did that so yeah at that time there really wasn't a solution for digiphysical so moving forward I was at a consensus in Austin and we had these rings that have these NFCs that are inside of them. And you could go around the booth that I was representing, the Neo booth, and you could scan your rings and have an NFT updated that added a new element. So this was the first time that a lot of folks got to interact with the physical and the digital realm. So for this instance, while we're scanning these rings and having this NFT dynamically update, 
the way I kind of understand these digital or digi-physical items that will be used in the future is for things like payments. Like think about how everybody uses their cell phones to tap and pay for everything. Given the role you have and the view you have, what's the future for digi-physical items? Are they going to be used for proving provenance? Are they going to be used for parts of a supply chain? Are they going to be used for making payments? What do you think is the future? So interesting. And I love the, the Ring project. I saw that you were doing that at Consensus. It was a lizard, wasn't it? Yes. Was kind of like this generative contract. I thought that was super cool. Cool. One of my favorite um, NFT projects was an artist called George. I think they were called Tezards, um, which was a Tezos kind of like PFP collected. It was very cool. Um, but just to, to answer your question in terms of like digi-physicals, you know, we already see great use cases with how G-Money is like activating his Admit One audience and developing his 9DCC fashion brand. We see Adidas doing a ton of interesting things and obviously Nike have launched Swoosh. I think how the new sort of community sectors are kind of developed there's going to be big conversations for sure around co-creation so one of the opportunities that i really think is exciting is this potential for co-creation and therefore co-ip ownership it's one of the sort of you know big strands of like web3 with cc0 projects where you actually you know own the ip for your digital asset Whereas I think we're going to start to see that now in the physical space also. But really, you know, the unique thing that Boson does is connect the, that digital and physical item together. Um, and it does that through a series of deep tech smart contracts. So you can think of it almost like Airbnb, the way that the seller will get paid out once the transaction has been completed. So it's only on receipt of the physical item has been redeemed that the seller will be paid out so there is complete trustless uh, security in place so you'll receive your item or get your money back and that's because the boson protocol acts as this smart contract layer this infrastructure to enable this decentralized transaction so that's what's kind of unique about how boson operates yeah i have tons of questions but our time is is running short so one of the things that you know coming from the class of 2017 there was still this kind of cypherpunk protect your privacy sort of ethos so how does boson deal with that you know i don't necessarily want my public wallet to be associated with my private physical address so what are the steps that boson takes to kind of protect the end user and differentiate and separate their identity from their public wallet? That's a very good question. I would definitely need to refer to our brilliant CTO and CPO, Misha and Sakrita, to give you a, a good answer on that one. <laughs> no problem. Um, so then just two more quick questions. You recently hosted a webinar entitled Decoding the Future of Commerce. What was one of the key takeaways that you took from that conversation? Well, we had some amazing guests on. We were very fortunate to have Nick Vinkia from Chowlab Group and Soulmates join us. And Nick leads innovation for Chowlab Group, which is the group that 
hosts all of the luxury brands across the Middle East. They're incredible. But he's also launched his own awesome like sneaker, digital physical sneaker brand called Soulmates. Simone was going to join us, but her flight got cancelled. So that was really unfortunate. And then we also had um, Marquez from Argents, actually. Marquez was a, a, a great example because he's recently joined Boson Protocol as a, a gallerist uh, based in Paris, representing incredible fine artists, painters, photographers. So I'm guessing the the takeaways really from the webinar really are the NFT kind of like phase, I would say, and it's obviously not a phase, but we definitely had like, you know, a huge period of growth over the last two years. That NFT kind of like phase is developing and growing into something into I'm just trying to order my thoughts because it's really about how it's evolving so the nft space is really evolving where we've seen you know these communities have been developed in this very organic way with you know real transparency and real community engagement and genuine kind of like cross-pollination of ideas and concepts and you know the next stage for this conversation i think is in this commerce layer is where we're able to kind of like create the brands that are going to kind of be huge in the next 20 years i think i do i genuinely think we're at a stage where we are going to start to see you know digital fashion brands that are able, just more agile, able to activate more quickly. You know, we're already seeing superstars like DressX and The Fabricant really take advantage of their early adoption of Web3. The Fabricant just did an amazing collaboration with High Snobiety, for instance, in Paris for Menswear Fashion Week last week and created their first physical jacket. You know, they've been able to operate very very quickly a lot of luxury houses do not have that luxury actually is the luxury to be able to move at speed so i think we're going to see you know this this new wave of, of brands designers artists creators that's my kind of full circle moment because empowering those artists and creators with these tools is what i'm really excited about that's what i've always done throughout my kind of like creative career is enable artists and creators to develop in a way that puts their work in front of new audiences so yeah it, it's I use the word exciting a lot but I am genuinely so excited about a lot of stuff Dylan it's not untrue <laughs> no I, I hear it with your background in in helping individual creators and creatives and then kind of this passion you're bringing to big brands who are slowly onboarding into the web3 space there's this connection that needs to be there that can provide these creatives who've established their own communities and to provide that intersection for big brands. And as you were speaking, I didn't get Bitcoin until, or ETH until I bought it in 2017. I didn't get NFTs until I got my first one in 2020. And I didn't understand what physical digital items, fidgetals is what we're calling them. I didn't understand what that intersection looked like until I used it earlier this year. 
So we're clearly at a place right now where once people kind of get their hands dirty and start to understand the benefits that blockchain and Web3 can provide them, then it's really easy to onboard them because they've kind of bought in themselves. Exactly. Yeah, I've had that first experience. Exactly. So I'm really excited to see the melding that Boson Protocol provides creators, creatives, big brands, and kind of using the physical and the digital as the realm to provide the elixir to mix these two. So moving forward, what's the best way to keep up to date with you or with Boson Protocol? Hey, that's a good question. Thank you. Obviously, Twitter and LinkedIn is a great place to find us. So we are both on protocol on Twitter and also both on protocol on LinkedIn. Well, Holly, you have to run. So thanks for for going a few minutes over to keep chatting with us. It was great that we crossed our paths at Consensus, even though we didn't necessarily get to have an interview or a chat then. But it's nice to know that this small little world of ours, uh, we were able to to share some time in the physical space together. And I was really excited to have this conversation. And um, I can't wait to keep up to date with what's going on with you and what's going on with Boson, providing a, a digi physical marketplace. Hey, thank you so much, Dylan. I really appreciate it. It's been an awesome conversation. Cheers. Have a great day. Cheers. Well, what did you think of that conversation? I thought it was super cool to hear about Holly's background with both creatives and big brands and how she's kind of acting as a melding of the two worlds. Also, personally, I really enjoyed being a part of the one band activation at Consensus this year. So it was really cool to hear Holly's thoughts on the fidgetal activation and what excited her. Overall, the Smart Economy podcast has been showcasing a lot of guests that are acting as a signal for big picture power shifts, And it was really interesting to hear Holly's insights into the mind of the big brand and how they're thinking about blockchain technology. On that note, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Smart Economy podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support the show, please keep NEO News Today in mind when voting for your NEO Council representative as part of NEO's governance process. We appreciate you and look forward to catching you next time.